Hey, book lovers, we want you to know that Libro FM is the best place to buy your audiobooks because it allows you to buy from your favorite local and independent bookstore. You can choose from more than 150,000 audiobook titles and get recommendations from booksellers around the country, all for the same price as that other company. You know which one I'm talking about. Except with Libro FM, you'll be part of a different story, one that supports community. And as always, listeners of the Bookstore Podcast can get two months for the price of one when they use our new promo promo code bookstorepod, all one word, at checkout at Libro.fm. That's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M. With each listen, take pride in knowing you're supporting local bookstores. Welcome to the bookstore. It's like a book club, but we actually read the book. I'm Becca. And I'm Corinne. And let's see, it's a new year. Happy New Year. We may have said that already on our last episode. I don't know. We um, recently did an episode that talks about our um, favorite books and and different books that we read last year. And then also it goes over the prompts for this year's bookstore challenge. So you can check that out if you're interested in hearing more about the prompts. Otherwise, you can find the whole list on our website or on our Instagram. January 2024's prompt was to read a book that takes place in or where the author is from the place that you are from. So Becca chose today's book, which is Daughters of Eve by Lois Duncan, which takes place in a fake place in Michigan. And then I chose True North by Jim Harrison. It's set in the UP. Jim Harrison is from Grayling, Michigan. We're both from Michigan. So both of these books are from Michigan <laughs> or about Michigan. <laughs> Let me or take place Michigan in Michigan. <laughs> one more time. <laughs> hey, Michigan. Um, and uh, the audiobook for True North is available from our libraries, at least on Hoopla. Hoopla. Hopefully other libraries have it too, if that's something you're interested in checking out. Otherwise, February's prompt is to read a memoir that was written by a writer, which um, is sort of funny because if you wrote a memoir, that means you're a writer. But this is this is about somebody whose chosen profession tends to be writing otherwise <laughs> their their main vocation. Um, so like a novelist or a poet, whatever. That will be February's prompt. I think Becca and I are still churning around some possibilities, but we'll mm-hmm. let you know when we have those picked out. So our, our typical content advisory and spoiler warning. Warnings. All our episode and book content warnings are, are typically listed in our show notes. I can say off the top of my head that for this book, there are, uh, depending on the version that you read, the original the original copies of it, um, earlier copies of the book, do use some offensive language and are incredibly fat phobic. So if that's a problem for you, just be aware of that. And um, spoilers are unavoidable in our conversations. And it's especially probably going to be true for this book, which is like 50 years old almost. So, you know, we'll, we'll try to warn you for like huge things, but we are going to be spoiling this book. Um, so if it's a problem, it's always safest to read first. Okay. And there we go. Daughters of Eve by Lois Duncan was published first in 1979. There is a revised edition that was released around 2011. It's mostly some names are changed and some of the outdated and offensive word choices are changed a little bit as far as I think you just did like a quick scan of it. Yeah, no, I've got I've got we'll go over it. I've got a, a kind of a rundown of what we what I found in the changes because okay, I think it's interesting perfect. yeah and also so, I just moved my microphone so if it sounds like I'm in a different spot that's why <laughs> <laughs> 
sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we both read the original. Um, this novel is set in the small town of Modesta, Michigan, and centers around a group of teenage girls who are all members of the same social club, Daughters of Eve. The club's stated objective is to raise money for the community, but with a new teacher sponsor, Irene Stark, the target may change. We meet Ruth, Laura, Tammy, Bambi, Kelly, Paula, Anne, Jane, and Fran. There's 10 of them, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize there were so many until I had to list them all out. It's only nine, um, though. <laughs> and we, we kind of learn about them. Every girl struggles with sort of her place in the world, also sexism. Ruth is expected to clean up after her useless brothers. Laura is described as fat a lot. Tammy has creepy premonitions about something bad happening in the club. Bambi is gorgeous and smart, but has a shitty boyfriend in Ruth's brother, Peter. Kelly's parents are getting divorced because her father cheated. Paula is an athlete at a school that does not provide any resources for girls' sports. Anne is a painter who is engaged to be married immediately after graduation. Jane's father is physically abusive to her mother. And Fran has rats for a science project. <laughs> I wasn't sure exactly what her main deal was, um, other than her mom is weirdly obsessed with her getting a boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think I think the idea is that, like, mostly... Was it was it her that her parents saved money for her brother's education, but not hers, or no? That was Ruth. Oh, that was Ruth again. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's mainly just that like people don't think that she needs to be a doctor, and that's what she wants to be. You know, she wants to take sciences seriously, and science is a men's vocation or whatever. Yeah, is kind yeah. of like her general, you know, yeah, oppression. <laughs> yes. Uh, so Irene Stark is a new teacher. Previously, she worked in Chicago and maybe kind of, sort of started a girls' riot at the old school that she taught at. Yeah. She is upset about an old relationship that ended because her boyfriend was unsupportive of her career and didn't want her to make more money than him. At first, she seems to be encouraging the girls to stand up for themselves and choose how they want to live their lives. But then something sinister occurs when Laura goes through some trauma. Uh, I think I think it's also possible because she I think her boyfriend may have been the one that got the promotion that she was up for. And she helped him. Oh, yeah. I think that's part of it, too. But yeah, I mean, either way, it it doesn't matter. It's not like super clear, but I think that's it because she kind of has those like flashback moments where. Yeah, she's reliving these, you know, unfair moments that she's had. No, that makes sense, because I I remember there was she talks about somebody getting a promotion over a woman. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, it didn't like occur to me that it was her and she was just like (laughs) pretending it wasn't her. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So I read this in middle school. I read like a lot of Lois Duncan's books, Mm -hmm. and this was my least favorite and it's so interesting because I, when I read it, I loved Irene Stark the whole time. I was like, this is amazing. I've never, at this point, that point in my life, I had never encountered a woman who said the kinds of things that she uh-huh. said and hated it because then by the end, I could tell that they had made her into a bad guy. Yeah. And so I felt very betrayed, but I didn't really know how. Obviously, I was like a 13. I didn't know how to articulate that. So now reading it back, I can see how the book is hinting at her being like the bitter man hater feminazi type 
the whole time. I think that's interesting. And we need to talk about that a little bit more. I want to talk because I also read this when I was in middle school at some point. I couldn't remember if I finished this one or not. And then like I would get to certain points in the book and I would remember parts of it. And I was like, yeah, I guess I guess I did read this whole thing. I don't have really strong memories about it. Mainly I remember when Peter asks Laura if she's on the rag. I always have those kind of moments with Mm -hmm. um, Lois Duncan books because there's these, they seemed like very scandalous to me at the time that I was reading them, (laughs) Um, that a boy would be asking about a girl's period. And especially like in that way, I I don't think I really understood what it meant. Um, But (laughs) So yeah, I did read this one too. I don't have many memories, like I said, so it must not have been like one that really, really stuck with me. I didn't remember the ending at all. But I do want to talk about Irene Stark being... I I think this book is like threads such a weird needle because I don't think that Lois Duncan is anti-feminist. I but do. I, really? Okay. It's yeah. interesting. Cause I, in I, a way, not completely. It's obvious... Yeah, it's just obvious to me that, like, all of the things happening to the girls are wrong. And I think the book thinks they're wrong. <laughs> yes, I, yes. Yeah. I Yeah, I mean, I, I probably, we probably actually mostly agree, as we always mm-hmm. do. But, like, there was, I think we also need to, because it's important when it was written. So mm-hmm. there's, like, this very big backlash to second wave feminism with women who are primarily housewives or maybe they have a job at the beauty salon where they're like, these women are going too far. Yeah. You know, and I yeah. think the book, so I don't think, so I wouldn't say, I mean, Lois Duncan is not anti-feminist. Like she's a conservative or thinks all women right. belong in the kitchen at all. Right. But right. I do think she is reacting to more, a very specific type uh, of feminist. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I think one of the big things is when, God, who was it? Tammy, I think. They're, the girls are all going out to protest or do something, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's Tammy who's like, it's not right. We shouldn't be doing this. There's other ways to get our, you know, get rights for women mm-hmm. and girls. And it very much reminds me of like... I don't know how else to say it, but like respectability politics, Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. oh, just vote, you know, do that, do everything (laughs) within the sphere of like politeness and what you're supposed to do, as opposed to going out and being violent. And, and so I do think that there is sort of an element of feminism has gone too far. Yeah, it's I think it's just interesting, because maybe because everything is so completely polarized right now, that like, you are either for something or you're against it, that it's really interesting to kind of be confronted with something that's like, okay, okay, let's pump the brakes a little bit, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's what it is that I'm more or less reacting to, because I was surprised to see, like, uh, I'm going to jump way, way, way ahead, but Anne, who is the character who was who is engaged to be married to her boyfriend, who's like 23, was like yeah irene should have called the cops let's be honest um <laughs> and, uh she's she finds out that she's pregnant or she uh, she assumes she's pregnant because i don't think they had pregnancy tests at home at that point that the book is written but she goes to irene because she had gotten into art school because irene sent in her sketches to an art professor and and she was going to go but now she's pregnant and so she can't and irene is basically 
almost forcing her to have an abortion. She's like, she's very, very much pressuring her to have an abortion. And I was I was sort of interested in that conversation because a lot of the arguments that Irene makes, I think, are pretty sound. Um, I don't think it's right to pressure somebody quite so hard. But then a couple of scenes later, Anne is talking to her dad, and her dad also reinforces a pro-choice position on it. So I thought that was really interesting because I kind of thought that that it would end up being the opposite, you know, that that he would, you know, tell her that she needed to have the baby or whatever and that he'd help support her or something like that. In the end, Anne does have the baby, but I, w- I was interested to see or like I thought it was interesting to see that sort of like pro-choice stance kind of reinforced again there with her father. And I do agree to a point <laughs> because mm-hmm. I think it's also a choice that Lois Duncan makes to have Irene Stark, the one who is pressuring her to have the abortion, also mm-hmm. the one who is bringing up sort of the pro-choice arguments. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And mm-hmm. then to have a man be the one who also who is like takes a much more gentle stance. Yeah. yeah. It feels very much like not all men some men are good. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. Some men are better than the women, which obviously like I'm not saying that's wrong. I don't know. Maybe I'm not making sense. But I just feel like a lot of the choices, a lot of the things that Irene says, they're put on her to reinforce this idea that she is crazy. She's gone too far. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, the way that she speaks to Anne is wrong. You yes. know, like the way she speaks to Anne is wrong. That's not that's not how you talk to a young girl in crisis like that. A, a straw man feminist. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this yeah. is what everybody, it's like, oh, they can't just be pro choice. They also Entirely. have to be like, yeah. everybody, nobody can get pregnant, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So, like, within the story, yes, Anne's father, good for him <laughs> to be pro choice. But I guess, like, I'm not w- saying that, like, I'm not saying that that makes. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm just surprised that it wasn't the opposite reaction. Yeah. And I see, I mean, I see what you're saying. I, I'm not, I'm not making this out to be like, actually, this book is very feminist. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I was just surprised to see that be the, the route that she took. Oh, on the point of not all men, there is a point where somebody literally says not all men. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And they're the reasonable ones. Well, one thing is, before we start talking about um, the changes with the 2010s reprints is, I don't know. Now, I'm not saying that this doesn't happen. There's like thousands of thousands of schools in the United States. But with Title IX, I don't think you can just not fund or provide access to girls sports. Like it's very, very illegal. But Mm -hmm. I gotta say, I did not feel bad for (laughs) the principal (laughs) for what they did to him. I know. (laughs) Or the teacher, Mr. Carncross, who is Tammy's dad, the science teacher. He's also, I feel like, sort of held up to be like, hey, this is a good guy. This is a good guy. And I didn't think he was. I don't. I don't remember thinking anything like too bad about him. I and I don't I mean like the reason why her Fran's um experiment didn't get chosen is because she literally broke the rules of the experiment. She did animal testing and it's like not allowed for the contest. Yeah. So like that's why she didn't get chosen. So I think that was the part where it was like okay, clearly they've obviously taken this too far because they didn't even find out why before they just assumed the worst and 
you know, uh, took it out on him. But I don't know. I mean, like he wasn't he wasn't great, but, you know, I don't I don't he certainly wasn't as bad as like Peter. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what happens to Fran. Fran has this science experiment where she's making rats alcoholic, which, yes, (laughs) there's some ethical concerns there. (laughs) And what they do, this is like their sort of this is their second big act of violence that they do in their club the second one is they go out of order (laughs) yeah they go down to mr carncross's room and they smash the winner of the science project which is some guy named gordon yeah and they smash his project which wasn't good also smash a lot of equipment in the room right yeah 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 and that's sort of where another aspect which is like oh god this is so 70s because fran is sad about it and then gordon comes and apologizes and said oh i would have tried harder on mine if i knew yours was going to be so good which is like (laughs) okay so you don't deserve to go and then the book makes fran pretty content with gordon she's like no no longer that interested she doesn't care because now she's got a guy who she likes. Yeah. I want to say, though, like, it is kind of crazy that you would think that the escalate, like, it should be the opposite way. It should be about Fran, and then it should be about Peter. Because, yeah. like, we go from, so what happens with Laura is, of course, uh, Laura is described very, very callously in a lot of ways. She is chubby and in the description of the book uh in the the original version um it seems insane um <laughs> standards to call this girl fat but this is where we are in 1979 i guess anyway she is fat everybody comments on her body constantly and so she has extremely low self-esteem being invited into the daughters of eve is like the best thing that's ever happened to her she can't believe it because like that's where all of the cool girls are like bambi who is hot and so Laura has really low self-esteem. Bambi breaks up with Peter, who is Ruth's brother, and he's like the hot boy in school. And to get back at Bambi, he gets with Laura and he tells her not to tell anybody, kind of that classic trope of whatever. And they like immediately start making it, as they say in the book, mm-hmm. which is having sex. But and he takes her out to the creek to do this all of the time. And he refuses to take her out in public, um, even though she keeps asking. And she just kind of assumes that they must be in love because obviously they would be. Um, and he just kind of tells her whatever it takes to get her back to the creek over and over again. And then he ends up taking Bambi to homecoming. Bambi, of course, doesn't know that He's pulling this over on Laura. Otherwise, she wouldn't have agreed to it. But that's what happens. And then Niles comes over. uh, And Niles is Peter and Ruth's other brother. He comes over on a homecoming night when Laura's been sitting around waiting for Peter to show up. But he's not going to because he's already taken Bambi. Sorry, this takes so much setup. But I just need to read what Niles said to her because it's it's really gross, but also... (laughs) absolutely bonkers yes (laughs) Um, i think i marked the same passage (laughs) so she says 
you know, she's she's like, I can't believe he didn't come. Um, he said that he hated Bambi. Why would he go to be with Bambi? Um, he said he never wanted to see her again. And Niles says, so he changed his mind. Niles brushed her cheek with his lips. Hey, now, baby, don't look like that. It's not the end of the world. So Pete's got a steady girl. There are lots of guys who don't, like me, for instance. I know how to keep a chick from getting lonesome. Just relax, pussycat girl, and I'll show you that brother Peter isn't the only one who knows how to keep you warm. (laughs) (laughs) So disgusting. (laughs) That's like, it's absolutely vile. And then what follows is like basically attempted assault. And, and, but yeah, the fact that he's like brother Peter, he's like, yeah, I know my brother has been fucking you, but did you ever stop to think that I could also do that. I'm his and brother. <laughs> they talk about it later, which Ruth overhears. And Peter yeah. is just like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. You know, Laura's really not that kind of girl. Like, he's so yeah. casual about it. Yeah. I This is why I don't feel bad. <laughs> for anything that happens to them (laughs) no and i think that's i think that's why the escalation is so funny that it starts with peter so they take well laura attempts suicide essentially she after niles leaves goes um and attempts suicide and then she leaves school she goes to move with her father who lives in like texas or something rhode island i don't remember and um (laughs) The two most opposite states I can think of, honestly. (laughs) It is Rhode Island, I believe, or Boston. (laughs) Um, Yes. Anyway, uh, and and the girls are obviously really upset because their friend um, had something very awful happen to her. But what they do is they lure Peter out into the woods and then they (laughs) do like this really creepy like screeching thing where they then pin him to the ground and also put a strap around his neck like they could have very easily accidentally killed him and then going to and I was like this seems early for the escalation I thought they didn't kill somebody till the end (laughs) yeah yeah and then uh and then they they just shave his head because he's got beautiful hair or whatever and then he's like so upset that he he refuses to go to school tells everyone he has mono until his hair grows back but like from for that to be the first act and then for the next one to just basically be vandalism yeah it's like a very weird progression of events (laughs) yes so i want to talk we brought up Anne. so Anne has like two pretty normal parents her dad experienced i think a heart attack and he's only Mm -hmm. in his 40s And so he can't do as much around the house. So her mom does a lot. But Anne's pretty well adjusted. She loves painting and is apparently very, very good at it to the point where Irene sends her portfolio to somebody. And she in that school, I think it's in Boston, Uh Boston on the brain. But Anne wins a scholarship, essentially. And so but Anne is also engaged to David, who's a farmer. And David, I, this is another thing where like, maybe I'm just, uh, maybe I'm thinking too much into it, but the book makes David seem like a good guy. Yeah, yeah. While when you actually read what David does, he seems like a horrific person. Uh Uh-huh. Like, for example, on the night his mom dies, he calls Anne, she goes over, and he wants to have sex with her. Yeah, yeah. And I 
think the book is trying to make it seem like, oh, look, Anne did this for him as an act of love. But all I can think about is how disgusting it is that a man would want to like, that's what he has on his mind after his mom just died. Mm hmm. I I hate it. And I hate I know. that Anne ended up with him in the end, staying in Modesta. I know. And she and he like I said, he graduated years before her. She's a senior in high school. They He must have graduated, graduated so far before him that she didn't know who he was, because when they meet, it's it's they're at like the diner or whatever in town. And she's there with Tammy and someone else. And Tammy has one of her visions. And she's like, that man he means something to one of you or he's going to mean something to one of you and it it's david and uh and it's Anne that he's supposed to mean something to and like all of them are like we've never seen him before in our entire lives yeah <laughs> so like <laughs> I, I think this is one of those things that like lois duncan who was born in like philadelphia does not understand about small towns which is just like sorry that's not how it works yes <laughs> if if you live in a small enough town you know the people who graduated not that long before you, um, you have seen these people around town before, especially if they're coming in and you guys are all hanging out at the diner from or time to time. Or you <laughs> at least recognize their last name or something right. like that. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. So he's he's old enough that, like, it's definitely, like, not legal for him to be seeing a sophomore or junior or whenever it is that mm-hmm. they start seeing each other. Like, it's it's pretty pretty weird and then he even comments on how weird it is when he takes her to homecoming (laughs) yes he's like like, wow i feel like a grown man with all these children and it's like yeah yeah, maybe because you are bro (laughs) you are (laughs) i don't know i think it's like it's hard to tell sometimes what what we're supposed to feel about these characters because i'm looking at it in like a modern light mm-hmm. because he when Anne tells him about winning the scholarship and delaying their wedding to me it reads as him trying to manipulate her yeah into staying yeah. he's like like doing the whole no it's fine I don't care it's okay fine you want to do it so go ahead to me yeah. that's manipulative language uh-huh. but I don't know if it was or people would recognize it as such in 1970s like i don't know if they i mean i don't want to say i don't know it just seems like that to me is so clearly a guy trying to make like david trying to make Anne feel guilty and stay with him whereas the book seems to think that's just how how a man speaks or something like that yeah it's hard to know (laughs) it's really hard to tell (laughs) what this book thinks is happening at any given time. It just seems to have sort of like a lower bar for men, for good men than what I personally have. Yeah. <laughs> because like Tammy shares that like her dad, Mr. Carncross, lets his wife like do her writing. I think she's a journalist or writes uh-huh. for the newspaper or she's whatever. Like a critic or something like yes. that. Yeah. And yeah. And I mean, the girls call her out on that. But Tammy, we are supposed to think clearly is the one with the right head on her shoulders because she never mm-hmm. really gives in to the violence. So it's just a weird thing. It's like, how am I supposed to think? Because in those moments, I agree with the girls. You, he shouldn't let his wife do anything. <laughs> but I think the book 
is trying to make me think that they the Karn crosses are actually like a very happily equal married couple. Yeah, and who knows what it's really like for them, but the yeah, that's um that that is also Tammy's understanding of it, you know, that like she's allowed to do that or whatever, mm-hmm. um which is not equal at all. Yeah. I don't know, it's such a funny, I don't know, it's such a funny like position to take again because it seems to be trying to like walk this fine line <laughs> of like, yes, women do need more rights, but also at what cost? Yeah, <laughs> that's not. Yes. That doesn't seem like a. That doesn't seem like where we're at with like discussions of this stuff anymore. You know. Yeah, yeah. It, it very much is like don't don't get too big for your britches or, you know, women are just going to like smash everything. And then also the book doesn't really have any instances of a girl or a woman getting something, achieving something on her own merits. So Irene, I mean, this is a spoiler for the very, very end, but she ends up being the principal of the school. And we know she gets to be that because they smashed up like, the principal's desk and I guess I don't know drove him out of town or something I wasn't clear <laughs> on what happened to him I don't know but Fran does not get to you know doesn't get to go to the science fair um, Paula doesn't get to be an athlete none of them the book doesn't seem to ever have an instance of like okay cool this girl really tried and went for something and was awarded this based on her own merit it's always based on something sleazy you know did your book have the for the record yes yeah it is difficult or funny because a couple of them do like so there's a there's kind of like the um, the end credits. Where are they now? Situation. Fran Schneider um, does go to school for biochemistry and has the baby. Now she's got two babies. Tammy goes to Hillsdale. Of which course, is... I knew it when I read that. I was like, <laughs> I knew this bitch would go to Hillsdale. <laughs> That's some like Michigan gossip for y'all, but I <laughs> I don't have time to get into it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Kelly, <laughs> Kelly is pre-law at Michigan. Holly was killed in an automobile accident. Oh, we forgot to talk about. I don't remember what Holly's deal I is. I totally forgot about Holly. I don't know if she really. Because I was did like, much. there's ten, but you only had nine listed, and yeah. I was like, huh, must have been ten plus Irene. I forgot <laughs> like, about Holly, d- including Irene. Uh, Holly was killed in an automobile accident. Paula is a saleswoman at J.C. Penney. Bambi is a fashion model for the Eileen Stanton Agency in New York City. Ruth is a housewife. Laura is a housewife. And Jane is a patient. Oh, yeah, we need to talk about Jane. Yeah. <laughs> and then Irene Stark is assistant pr- principal at my oh, desk that's high right. school. Anyway, so we, need to, we do need to talk about Jane. Jane poor girl her father is abusive towards her mother physically he hits her quite often and at near the end of the book he shoves her to the ground uh and and beats her bad enough that it like nearly kills her and jane doesn't take it to the daughters of eve i don't think maybe they know they find out about they it they don't know cuz they're kind of discussing like shitty men and then they somebody says like you know, only a complete maniac would hit a woman. 
And Jane sort of has like a little bit of a breakdown and then they kind of find out that actually like Mr. Reardon is very abusive and then everybody's Mm -hmm. surprised. Like, I can't believe it. Like they go to our church and things like that. Yeah. So um, Jane comes home. She's been staying at Irene's to stay safe away from her father. And then she comes home to her father and she, spoiler alert, if you do not want to spoil the very end of the book, she murders him with a cast iron skillet, hits him in the head. Um, and so she ends up at the state hospital in Ypsilanti for psychiatric patients, which in the corrected version, she ends up at some hospital in Grand Rapids, which is funny. Oh, really? But, uh-huh. what, what's um, wrong with Ypsilanti? Ypsilanti is a lot closer to Adrian, which is the Well, the closest. state mental hospitals were all closed um, oh. at a certain point. So I th- assume that's why. Yeah. My my grandma was a psychiatric nurse and that was one of her big things. She was very against the closing of all of the state hospitals. Okay. That's what happens. And I think like, I don't know, it's interesting because some of the girls get what they want, right? Like, so the smart girls, Fran, Tammy, Bambi, who is also, you know, hot, smoking hot, like the ones who were, I guess, quote unquote, like motivated, got to do the things that they had planned to do. And the other ones didn't do anything. You know, they weren't going to go to school or whatever either. It's it's interesting because it kind of plays out in like this way that's kind of like maybe Lois Duncan is saying like none of those girls wanted it enough to get it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I guess that's why like I can't really I wouldn't say like I said, I don't think it's like completely anti-feminist by any means. It's just mm-hmm. hard to tell what the book is actually trying to say. Because part of it also feels like, I don't know, it, like choice feminism. Like, look, yeah. the girls who wanted to be housewives became housewives kind of thing. And the girls who didn't, didn't, went on to do whatever they wanted. But, but with Jane's story like she's definitely I think her story is probably the most compelling and straightforward Mm -hmm. because there's also a lot about how she talks to her mom and Mrs. Reardon is like I can't leave I have nothing I don't have a job I don't have anything and I'll leave when you graduate basically so that we can have enough for you to get to where you know you can get out of the house yeah pretty much yeah and so when jane does kill her dad i'm like well i'm not uh, i'm not saddened by this loss <laughs> no. you know and i don't yeah. know what the book want and i mean maybe i'm just like trying to figure out what the intention is and it doesn't really matter because i don't know is it saying that it was wrong for jane <laughs> to kill her dad i mean i don't ever want to say that it's right for a person to kill a person right <laughs> well true <laughs> That's true. But these are not real people. Right. But but this stuff, this stuff also like has happened before. <laughs> like people yeah. do hurt their abusers. Um, and and yeah, I don't know. It is interesting because like I don't know that Jane necessarily did it just because of Daughters of Eve. You know, like, yeah, I think it's just as likely that that girl could have come to the conclusion that like. This man was going because he hit her, too. Yes. I think that's why she, you know, ultimately did it is he finally hit her. And and I think like, I don't know, like that's a conclusion she could have come to either way, living with somebody who is that disinterested in your safety and well-being, you know, so yeah, and in controlling you. But 
And th- she yeah. really got no, she's the one that gets the least amount of help from the rest mm-hmm. of the Daughters of Eve, too. Which also, it's like, is the book saying that, like, these girls aren't really that helpful at all because the one person <laughs> who needs them the most doesn't get anything. I don't know. Yeah. One thing I should go. Oh, uh, one thing I want to do before I go over the, the differences between the, the editions is what to you does the word Creek mean? And I mean the environmental term not the sound not the onomatopoeia <laughs> oh a creek i mean generally like a, <laughs> i mean i it's like a creek like i don't know any other way to describe <laughs> it but very very shallow i'm talking like not even knee deep at most yeah. steep yeah. banks you know to it lots of rocks but lots of leeches you know how far across oh like a few steps <laughs> okay <laughs> Why? Because this book describes creeks at some point. They're talking about it and they use this creek that they go to, the the creek that that Peter takes the girls to all of the time to to get with, as really deep, um, deep enough that you could drown in it. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) uh, Deep, uh, really wide because they like tube in it in the summers. (laughs) And I was like, Lois Duncan doesn't know what a, a crick is, which is also what we call it. We call it a crick. I don't know if that's like specific to regions of the United States, but um, C-R-E-E-K, we call them cricks. Um, I lived right next to one. Ours was at times, depending on like the season, sometimes kind of deep. It was wide enough that like you would have to you'd have to take many steps across it. You couldn't just jump across it or anything, no, but it's yeah. certainly not something you're taking a boat on. Like a boat is not going to traverse it, you know. Like no. at some points, it's going to be like barely a trickle, and at other points, like it might be more, you know, substantial. Yes, but, yes, yeah. that is like what they describe is there's like rivers. Yes, <laughs> that those are, are, that's a river that they are describing, rivers and are like that big. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really funny because I was, you know, I was just imagining a creek like uh, exist in every single town in Michigan, as far as I know. Yeah. Um, and then it's, then she describes it and it's like, no, that's actually a river, Lois. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, changes from the, the 2010s reprints that they made from from the originals. So I think based on these, it was made uh, the updates were made to make the book take place in the 90s. So there were some names that were changed. Ruth is Christy. Fran becomes Erica. Bambi becomes Madison. And also I got a comment on the name Bambi is like, thank God she was the hot girl, right? Because can you yeah. imagine naming your daughter Bambi and she's just like <laughs> normal looking? <laughs> if mine, can you imagine and my name being Bambi? Of course, she was like blonde, blonde too. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And she becomes a model afterwards. So, uh, and then, so most of the other names do remain the same as far as I could tell. There are a couple of instances of slurs in the original book that have been removed. 
A reference to Anne's specific weight was taken out, but the rude descriptions of her body stay in. Oh, you mean Laura? Oh, yes. Sorry. Who did I say? Anne. Yeah. Uh, Laura. Niles doesn't call Laura pussycat. Instead of two parents talking about how disco will never replace the jitterbug, they talk about how disco is much better than whatever the kids were dancing to at the... (laughs) at the dance. Irene brings up at-home pregnancy tests um, when Anne is talking to her about being pregnant, which I think in the original book, she's just basing her pregnancy on symptoms and having missed her period. Um, And then aside from that, like some really obvious like anachronisms, nothing else was really changed um, in the dialogue to me still really read like incredibly dated and not likely some like the way that kids in the 90s would have talked. (laughs) So it's it's sort of funny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it is sort of silly to change it because like we already mentioned, the athletics problem with the girls have like two teams versus the boys have four they don't actually have space to even practice around the track unless the boys track team cancels right that just really probably does not happen like i'm pretty sure you have to have a one-to-one ratio on sports now Yes. And so even just having including that like really takes you out of the 90s. <laughs> if I that know is the same. Now, there's definitely things they could have changed. Like we when I was in high school, we had to pay for our own cheerleading uniforms. But the boys uh-huh. football team that was already all paid for. Yeah. Now yeah. you can tell me that cheerleading isn't a sport and I'm not going to disagree, but <laughs> <laughs> it's not fair. No. Yeah. I, it's I don't know. It's just funny because like. I I think, like, teens can still be interested in reading a book that takes place in a different time period. Yeah. Like, I think think it's fair to remove the slurs. Um, Yes. I think that's fair. And to make some of those kind of, like, changes make them a little bit softer. But, like, I don't don't think you need to change references to the jitterbug or whatever. Like, just make it obvious that the book takes place in 1979 and and call it a day. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's historical fiction at that point. At that point. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I don't I don't know. It would be interesting to read some of the other books and and compare them to the newer editions to see if like they make references to cell phones or something, if they try to update it even closer to the 2010s. But uh, because I think that that would be like, honestly, that would be just a huge mistake. Yeah, there's some things that I noted too. Oh, so Ruth's mom, Mrs. Granger, she's 37. And the book kind uh-huh. of briefly mentions that she f- looks so old, and she doesn't even uh-huh. recognize her face in the mirror anymore. I was like, thank uh-huh. you. <laughs> I'm about to turn 37. <laughs> I know. I just I just turned 35 yesterday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, oh, there is some things. I mean, this is why I guess I just get so confused about what the book is saying, because there's a point where this is a flashback that Irene is having. She uh, is in college. She has an affair with a professor and the professor's wife actually comes to talk to her. And she says something like, like, you know, sometimes the the professor's wife says sometimes it's the challenge of trying to keep a strong woman down why a man goes after a woman uh-huh. and that is something that like is still true I think like I think that's still a thing where like men want trad wives but they don't want a woman who wants to just be supported 
they right. want to go after, you know, a baddie or whatever <laughs> to yeah, try to they bring need to her change down. You. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there's another. Who was it? Oh, that was that's kind of like that Jonah Hill thing that happened, whatever oh, it was, yes. like six months ago or whatever. Exactly. Right? He's dating that surfer. Uh, it's like he knew everything about her before she started dating him and then she he told her basically that he didn't want her to do any of these things anymore there's i don't like why go after that person if that's not what you want from them (laughs) yeah (laughs) yep what else do i got oh jane's father talks about (laughs) communists he he thinks daughters of eve are like is like a communist group Uh changing everybody (laughs) into little commies i'd be interested if that changed anything i guess it really doesn't need to change no i should have looked that up but because if it takes place in the 90s it's after the you know fall of the berlin wall the the cold war is over so yeah oh uh we mentioned that fran uh fran's mom really wants her to get a boyfriend so fran borrows her dad's car it gets scratched up when they're out shaving peter's head and (laughs) The dad notices and is really like upset with her for scratching it and doesn't believe her story that she like scratched it on bushes at one of her friend's uh-huh. house. But Mrs. Schneider, her mom, is like, Don't say anything. I think Fran went to the creek to make out with a boy. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. like, What? <laughs> and then the dad says, She okay, the mom says, like, 18 years old, she's finally got a boyfriend. If you do one thing, one single thing to mess this up, I swear I'm never talking to you again as long as I live. Our daughter is sneaking out on a school night, lying to her parents, and parking with some creep who doesn't even have his own car, and you're happy about it. <laughs> like, listen, that's the one time I agree with a man in this story. <laughs> because it's true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, one of the other things that the parents say, the um, Ruth's parents, uh, her mother has to work because they have so many children, just so, so many children. And the number of children they have is four, which, yes, by 2024 standards is kind of a lot. But when I was a kid, like in a small town in small town America, four was not like an unheard of number for a family to have. <laughs> no. So like, and I'm not saying that like, that wouldn't be like a financial burden, it would be. But it's it's funny that like Lois Duncan points out that that's just like nobody has four children anymore like in 1979 in middle michigan (laughs) yeah that's one thing where it's like because like my parents grew up in the 70s my mom had four sisters and my dad had five siblings so yeah yeah Uh, yeah, even even today, it's not like crazy uncommon for me to come across families like in West Michigan that that, that have many yeah. little kids. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that was funny. I think it's I think it's just funny. Like the way that she writes is like definitely from a very specific time period that I don't know that like necessarily translates to the age group that she's writing for. I think where she is from also has a lot to do with the way that she mm-hmm. writes dialogue and stuff. And I, it's funny because I don't I don't remember it sticking out to me as like old sounding or anything when I was a kid when I read these books but now it's definitely like none of this sounds natural <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I mean it was like I, again I think I got a little bit I don't know not frustrated not quite frustrated but just trying to kind of find what she's really saying in this book because mm-hmm. Irene is not described very nicely she is described as swarthy 
which Mm -hmm. is usually like a racist term, honestly. I'm not sure if that's what Duncan was using it as, but it's like Irene was so unattractive and people couldn't understand why the girls were so taken with her Mm -hmm. either. Like as in you shouldn't be, (laughs) you know, right. Uh, I don't know. So I don't know. It was still pretty funny. (laughs) Yes. Oh yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was still fun. Yeah. I mean, again, like with these books, when we read these, we're not ever, when we say that we like them, it's not ever like a tacit, like approval of any messaging in these things. This is strictly camp. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, and honestly, like it was a lot tamer than I thought it would be, which is why I think I co- sort of started like reacting to how I felt Irene was being written like there's times when she like mixes up she's like oh Dave is gonna say this to to um Anne and then she's like oh no that wasn't Dave that was my ex-boyfriend and Uh it's times like that where I'm like they're they're it's making Irene out to be like so out there so off the wall like Mm -hmm. but in the end like she did become assistant principal. Yeah. So I guess she was right all along. And the only person who died deserved it. No, I know. I think it's funny because I'm still like on Irene's side. <laughs> I <am>. Yes. <laughs> <So>. Yes. <laughs> I know. I, and maybe that's it. Yeah. That, maybe that's it. And I did get upset about the her pressuring. I think that's why I got so upset about her pressuring. Yeah. Uh, and to have an abortion yeah. is because it's like, yeah. I don't want Irene to do that. I know. <laughs> She's supposed to be the good guy. I mean, the thing is, it's hard for me because it's also like, whenever, when do you ever see like a teacher in a book saying, well, I mean, I guess maybe it comes up. But, you know, when I was a kid, it was like, who would you have gone to, right, if you became pregnant in high school or something? And then what would you have expected them to say? And wouldn't it have been nice if a teacher said like, whatever choice you make, I'm going to help you like yeah. i can help you with it right and uh and and she kind of <laughs> she kind of does that she's like i can help you find where to go but then she's also like you have to do it so yeah. you know it's I, I it's, don't know. it's it, like partially what you want to hear but also like nope <laughs> yeah nope, nope. <laughs> I, and i think that's why i was disappointed and, and i think maybe maybe the whole purpose was kind of let me put these uh pro-choice like arguments in this book but then i won't actually have the character have an abortion so it's not right. it doesn't go that far like that is pretty right. far for 1979 uh-huh i don't know i mean i spend a lot of time trying to figure out how i'm supposed to think about this book and like you said it is just really just campy and these people no, are not yeah. real so please don't anybody <laughs> get mad at me for <laughs> saying it's okay what happened <laughs> with the violence I don't, they're not real I re- I think in my, in my head I was confusing this book with Gallows Hill, which is about another group of girls at a different school, obviously. Um, and I think I think I was confusing these two, so I couldn't remember what this one was about necessarily. But this one really does feel like maybe like possibly one of her most grounded ones. Well, no, because Killing Mr. Griffin is like that's not like that's yeah. not like supernatural necessarily. And that one with the kids on the bus that get like. Yeah, ransom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I wrote a story based on that when I was in middle school. (laughs) Fan fiction. Um, (laughs) Yeah, probably. I mean, basically, I turned it in for my class. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I, I was thinking about how this one deals with like 
these are like actual real problems these kids were having. You know, this isn't about like your your long lost twin astral projecting into your dreams. Right. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is this is like these are real tangible issues these girls were going through. But I guess maybe some of the other ones did, too. But yeah, it was fun. Thanks for listening to the bookstore. If you would like to support the podcast beyond listening, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash the bookstore or rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find all of the ways to contact us, email, social media, etc. We're all at the bookstorepodcast.com. Our next book discussion will be True North by Jim Harrison. You can find it at your local bookstore or library and read along with us. The Bookstore is a production of Awkwardly Social Media, produced by Becky Yunk and Corinne Keener. Technical and production support is provided by Josh Bourdon and Zach Titus. And John, if you're out there, thanks for listening. See you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Bye.